It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Well, my guests here on Moment of Truth today are a couple of people that have a collaboration going on. Sandra Laron, the executive and artistic director of Red Sky Performance, is with me on the show, as well as Matthew Loden, the CEO of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. I want to welcome them both to the show, but I also want to welcome you, our listeners, to the show as well. And they are listeners in both Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M. And then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And may I also welcome all of our listeners on other radio stations that are carrying the show. And of course, if you're listening online or anywhere else from a podcast around the world, we also welcome you. As I said, Sandra LaRonde is the Executive and Artistic Director of Red Sky Performance, Matthew Loden, the CEO of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. And they have this wonderful collaboration that is going on, and they have a call out for artists. Indigenous artists, take note. This is something that's going on. There is a deadline for you to register, and we're going to get into that a little bit, but I want to welcome both Sandra and Matthew to the show. Welcome. Hi, it's wonderful to be here. I'd like to get a little bit of background from both of you on your respective organizations. Also, we want to get into this collaboration. So, first of all, Sandra, Executive Director of Red Sky Performance, been around for 20 years now. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You have a number of other things going on that are quite interesting right now. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, we um, have some wonderful Red Talks coming up with some incredible Um, Indigenous leaders and creators and um, also this wonderful collaboration that we're doing Mm -hmm. uh, that we've started now um, with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Yep. And uh, yeah, so... So I'll just let people know if they want to know more about those events that we're talking about, and they are really looking like great <laughs> events. You can go to the redskyperformance.com website, and you can find out more all about that as, as well. But yes, let's get into this collaboration along with Red Sky and the TSO. Can you guys tell me a little bit, how, how did this come about? Who would like to take the lead on that? Um, I can take the lead on that, if, um, if that's okay with you, Matthew. Oh, no, of course. Wonderful. Go for it. Yes. Um, We've had a, a, a very wonderful relationship with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. And uh, we were thinking of something that we could do during this time. Mm. And uh, so we talked about Mr. Tim, mm-hmm. um, which is a piece of uh, by Red Sky Performance that is essentially about, you know, two different approaches to tr- taming a wild horse. And uh, this is a piece for youth. And so it's, you know, it's all about sort of like the fences that divide us and are built to separate, um, you know, people and things. That's, that's what they're intended for. So, you know, on one side of the fence is a, is a girl living on the res and on the other side of the fence is a boy on his ranch. And they were taught never, never to cross that fence. <laughs> and, uh, and that was fine until this wild horse comes into their life and essentially turns their worlds upside down. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, the sonic possibilities for this were always with me. And I thought, you know, it'd be really great to see uh, something with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and to elevate the music and bring it to um, a new sort of level and to work together on something that 
could be quite meaningful um, mm. uh, on this story, basically uh, about reconciliation, but that was made for youth and for children. So, two questions there: mysticism. Uh, where did that? Where did the story come from? Came from my head, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's mishta uh, mishta dim. Yes, thank which you. just means it means horse in both Anishinaabe and in mm-hmm. uh, Cree, and. Um, yeah, I just was really interested in always in a story of a horse. I'm really interested in stories about children with special gifts. And in mm. this case, she is somebody who has a, a, a special relationship to this horse that no one else can can have mm. uh, um, until she basically opens up the heart of this horse in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and the other thing, when you say youth... What are we talking about in age range? What are we thinking of? We're basically talking K to grade six. So a lot okay. of uh, precocious five-year-olds to all the way up to about 13 is basically the target market for this. But uh, families really enjoy it. And all of our work that we do, um, we want adults to enjoy it as much as children do. So it really cuts across uh, different generations that way. But it's mm. intended for youth of that age range. Okay. Uh, Matthew, Mishta Tim, when this idea came to you from Sandra, what uh, what went across your mind? Well, as as you can hear from Sandra's um, wonderful description, it, it's an incredibly evocative um, set of metaphors mm. uh, that, uh, that, that people who are creative love to work with. It's a sandbox that we, we always want to be in. We mm. have this idea of of senses and uh, and relief and the idea of um, changing perspectives um, and and flipping tradition on its head and learning more about the unknown. Um, all of those kinds of things are incredibly compelling uh, to to musicians. Period. Not just musicians of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Mm. So we we knew not only because of this wonderful idea, but just because of our past experience, as, as Sandra mentioned, we've, we've, we've had a long, a long history of, uh, of partnership with, with Red Sky. So um, it was an easy decision to, to jump into figuring out how to make this work. And um, the more that we started thinking about it, the more, um, the more I started um, in my own mind thinking about this project in terms of the way that um, like musicians around the world get together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, often, often it's, it's, it's casual, right? And you come uh, after, you know, after the 10 o'clock orchestra show, you might wind up going down to King Street back in the day and find a, a blues bar or a jazz bar and, and put a different kind of hat on as mm-hmm. a clarinet player. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the way in which music can both um, accentuate Different traditions, and also remind us of um, of our of our unity, of of just that that instinct for people, no matter who they are, to make music and to find a way to do it together around the campfire. That's incredibly um, moving, and I think it speaks to uh, certainly what we're trying to do in this partnership. Let's we want to bring different ways of making music together uh, and see what kind of new experience we can create. 
Okay, so so the idea of of not only collaborating together, but now turning it into an, an educational uh, element by bringing uh, artists of both Indigenous and the TSO together to work together, to actually create something together. Uh, how did that develop? Um, that developed out of an idea of, um, I don't, you know, I just always had that idea somewhere in the back of my head, <laughs> to tell you the truth about approaching the TSO with something like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when this whole sort of um, pandemic hit and, Mm. you know, it it sort of altered our plans and then, and it became this, which is this uh, beautiful opportunity, as Matthew was saying, you know, to learn from one another, to create together and, you know, to create something in a more lateral way as well. So, you know, the Indigenous music creators and the, you know, the TSO musicians, we see them at, uh, you know, lateral we, see, we don't see necessarily one form being more dominant over the other, but it's to come together to try to create something in this lateral collaborative way and to um, spark something new. And uh, I, I love, I mean, this whole piece of Mr. Tim is about reconciliation mm-hmm. and it's about, you know, so it'd be great to bring together different forms of music together, potentially, uh, obviously, Indigenous and non-Indigenous people together in, in terms of the creative process of this and the learning that's going to be, that's going to happen within that environment, um, both virtually and we hope at some point in person as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So it's a real opportunity to do exactly what the story is about, but in the creative process as well. Right, I'm glad you mentioned reconciliation because, of course, it does sound very much like something like that. Uh, you mentioned the fence and don't cross the fence. Uh, you have this indigenous person on the reserve. You have uh, another person on their ranch that they just divided and they're coming together. And, of course, that sounds in a very physical sense the way our our communities that are bumping up against each other, whether it's a reserve and a non-Indigenous community, are separated similarly to that. And, you know, I, I think of, of stories that I remember hearing around the Six Nations community where uh, uh, people in the Brantford area w- w- would sometimes ask, well, can you go there? Isn't there, isn't there a fence you got, you got to go through? Uh, you know, there's a wall or a gate. It's a gated community. Uh, all these questions that came up that you, you sometimes hear and, you, and, you're, and they're right beside each other. So it really makes you wonder uh, why there isn't more communication that happens and, and those misunderstandings uh, that, that still perpetuate. So, yeah, this wonderful idea and then of course that translates of course into the larger picture of of Canada as as a community itself so it is a wonderful idea so congratulations to both of you on bringing this forward and, and moving this forward so now you've got this call out who wants to tell me about the call out for musicians and what to expect uh, from from that as we move forward I can I can tackle a little bit of that um, uh, just to kind of give you a sense you know the the um, you know fences are not only um, um, physical barriers; they also are are are, um, are barriers of access. Mm. And one of the things that um, the tradition of the symphonic world essentially requires is that someone has um, spent a very long time learning how to play our music in our way. Mm. And sometimes that, in and of itself, means that people are not going to show up because they don't play the music that way. They haven't had the training or the exposure or the access. And so what we wanted to make sure we could do is to, is to get rid of that stipulation. 
um, and in some ways get rid of that stigma. And so mm. for indigenous music creators who, um, who, who, who play an instrument, who sing, who have um, a way of expressing music that they want to potentially share in this project, that's the, that's the bottom line. That's, that's who we want to be a part of this. Um, so again, we can, we can find a way to make something that is uh, um, better because all of us are coming together as different individuals and, and trying to create something. Mm. Sandra, does that sound right to you? Yeah, that's that's definitely spot on. And um, you know, there's so there's so much talent in our communities, um, David. As you know, like right across Turtle Island, and uh, you know, I open it up to any music uh, creator, indigenous music creator, could play any instrument. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean either that you, we have to read uh, notation for this, because right. there's ways that we can work. Um, in other ways that with people who have just a, a really good ear. Um, so we really, really want to open this up to anybody um, out there in, who's an Indigenous music creator. And um, even if they don't call themselves a composer, there's so many Indigenous music creators that also compose, that also write music or notate music or, you know, I think what could be really interesting is to find our own way of notating, you know, this process and even the way that we're going to score this will have, I think, a very different kind of notation. And I think that can be really, in itself, really interested, interesting and most likely it'll be a, a graphic notation. Right. So, uh, so yes, we really want to open this up. We really want to encourage um, anybody who is really interested in making music to apply and to be part of this um, really, really unique project in Canada. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa and also on other stations that carry this show of Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And uh, my guests here on the show are Sandra LaRond. She is the executive and artistic director of Red Sky Performance, as well as Matthew Loden. He is the CEO of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. And we're talking to them about the collaboration of Red Sky Performance and the Toronto Symphony Orchestra on a mu musical creation and mentorship program that they They've developed with Indigenous artists. It's moving forward. Now, there is a deadline. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also, as you heard Sandra just men mentioning there, about uh, you don't necessarily have to read music, uh, but if you go for this call for Indigenous mu um, musicians, creators, you can find that uh, on the Red Sky Performance website. And uh, where else can people find th this information? It's also on the Toronto Symphony Orchestra website mm -hmm. as well. Okay. It's on both Facebooks of Red Sky and TSO. Okay. So there's lots of places that people can come and have a look. Right. Now, a couple of things come to mind there, uh, Sandra, as you were talking about the call. This is a youth-focused uh, uh, production, but what about the musicians that you're looking to open this up to? Is there an age uh, you know, restriction on it at all? Yeah, this, they have to be 18 and up. Okay, 18 and up. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing is you were talking there about how this had changed because of COVID. Uh, you know, it's interesting as the situation has moved on, how COVID has 
we we think this is it is it is it a, a bad situation but there's been opportunities because of how people have had to change and think about things where i'm hearing more and more about the opportunities that are coming out of this and how uh, these things are are coming forward and and this sounds like one of those potential things that are that are changing the other thing i'd like to just touch on a little bit is that because of how you guys are going about this uh, and how it sounds like a, a wonderful story, not only about what you're going to be doing and the performance you're going to be bringing out of this with this collaboration, but just just the idea of documenting this whole process because it sounds like a real interesting story that could be told afterwards. Is there any? Is there going to be anything of that taking place? Well, we would we would hope to document however however we possibly can mm. um, both the the process and the and the musical stories that we'll tell. Um, that's always important, and, and as Sandra mentioned, you know, we could we could easily imagine that there's a, a graphic score that winds up charting what the music is supposed to look like, what the framework of the expression might be, and and, and that could be a really interesting uh, avenue into um, sharing uh, this this project with the world. I I, I would want to say that that um, I I agree with you a hundred percent, David, that there have been um, extraordinary new opportunities and ideas and artistry that has come out of um out of this terrible pandemic but i would um i would be irresponsible if i didn't point out to your listeners that um you know aside from the incredible devastating toll that it is paying Mm. on um playing out with with um with people mm-hmm. who are really sick, who are really unwell, who are isolated and having mm-hmm. mental health issues, the pandemic is um, is uh, awful in that regard, and it is it is devastating to arts and culture. Yeah. Um, the fact that we can't actually get people together, not just in a concert hall of twenty five hundred people, but in a church of a hundred people, right, is um, is fundamentally. Um, having a, a an extraordinarily um, awful impact on our industry. And Absolutely. so these kinds of hopeful projects where we are able to find ways to get together and to celebrate music and to do it in different ways, they're really important to keep our spirits and our talent intact. But it's also not something that is sustainable. It's not something that we can just move all of our operations into this digital sphere Absolutely. and expect that we're still going to be able to be the great Toronto Symphony Orchestra or the incredible Red Sky, you know? Um, so I just, I, I think it's important for people to have an awareness of, um, of that within the context of this whole pandemic. Appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. And one day we will be able to get back to that, but it doesn't look like it's going to be for a while. So we move forward as best we can. And uh, I appreciate every comment that you made. I can certainly understand exactly the comments you're making about the hardship the uh, and the mental duress that people are going through. I, I want to talk a little bit about how people can apply. Uh, first of all, people are asking to uh, uh, include a statement or a brief video or some kind of a written statement for them about themselves, 200 words or, or two-minute maximum video. The people, you want a resume, uh, you want some music samples. If people have uh, some kind of musical works that they have done, you want them, them to submit that as well. And uh, you are looking if people have scored some music. You want uh, p- people to uh, potentially s- submit something like that. But this is not necessary, I understand, as well. And then, of course, you need to have your usual kind of information, your name and uh, your address, your telephone number, email, et cetera, et cetera. 
And these, you're, being, you're asking people to do this prior to February 12th uh, at midnight, correct? That's all correct. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to add to that? No. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, have fun and, and everybody please apply. Yeah, mm. we'd, we'd love to receive some submissions and to work with uh, talent and uh, exciting folk that, are, that have a deep love for music and story and culture. Okay, and once these are are submitted, be looking and and you know looking at the submissions. The adju- uh, adjudicators, yes. It'll be a mix between well, Gary Kalesha, who is with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, mm-hmm. and um, um, probably myself at Red Sky, and then we'll probably have another third person right. also look at um, all of the applications as well. Okay, and so the as I said, the deadline is uh, February 12th, but when will people find out uh, if they have uh, been successful in, in uh, moving forward on this? I would say about a week later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't, shouldn't take too long. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, congratulations to both of you. It sounds like a wonderful project. We certainly look forward to hearing more. You know, please keep us in, informed. Uh, we'd really like to help you uh, promote this afterwards. We'd like to hear more about it. We'd like to keep it in, in the forefront of people's minds so that we uh, can, can get more out there about how this is moving forward. And of course, once it comes to fruition, I believe it's going to be a 15-minute piece that's going to be created out of this? That's correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I just want to say uh, thank you, Chimigwech and Yawagoa, for to both of you for taking time to join us on the show. Yes, and thank you for all the good work that you do as well, David. Um, so Chimigwech and Nyawe, and uh, lovely to um, speak with you as well, Matthew. You too. Hey, David, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, we're, we're looking forward to, to sharing more with you in the future. That sounds wonderful. Thank you both once again and all the best. And uh, it sounds like a great project. I can't wait to hear more about this. And I'm sure that uh, also is echoed by our listeners. And this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And my guests here on Moment of Truth in this part of the show have been Sandra Laurent, the Executive and Artistic Director of Red Sky Performance, as well as Matthew Loden, the CEO of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. We've been talking about the Red Sky Performance and Toronto Symphony Orchestra collaboration of a new musical creation and mentorship program. And as we say, there is a call for artists to submit. So go online to the TSO website or the Red Sky Performance website to find out more about this. The deadline is February 12th. We're going to be right back with more here on Moment of Truth right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. My guest here on Moment of Truth today is someone that I I don't know if I've ever interviewed Bert Crowfoot before, but Bert certainly has been in the news of late with some great news that's been happening out uh, Edmonton Way and in Alberta. Uh, Bert is the CEO for the AMSA organization that stands for the Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. And I have known Bert for quite some time. I haven't seen you for quite some time, Bert. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You have uh, been the CEO and, and founder of AMSA for a number of years. I met you when I was working on Six Nations uh, for CKRZ Radio, a, a very similar kind of style radio station that y- you are heading up. And now uh, you've got an additional, The Raven, that launched. And uh, so we're pr- really proud of that. I'm, you must be extremely proud of it as well. Yeah, it's been uh, been an exciting broadcast 
day, every day starts with a prayer in mm. one of our five uh, indigenous languages that we work with. Mm -hmm. uh, the opening day was a prayer in Cree. The uh, next was a welcome song, a, uh, a refresh, a, a new day kind of a song by the mm. Logan Alexis singers mm. from the Nakoda Alexis Nakota Sioux First Nation, just west of Edmonton. Mm. So they sang that song. There's four of them. They're the same guys that do that Oilers song for mm. Connor McDavid. So mm. they're quite well known mm -hmm. here. Uh, and they did a powerful song. I mean, it was just, you know, made me feel so proud. Mm. And then uh, I did a intro that I had pre-recorded for welcoming everybody, thanking staff, thanking our engineers thanking everybody that made it possible. And, uh, and then we had four songs. And uh, like I said, that first day I was pacing back and forth, like an expecting grandfather, you know, with the <laughs> coming grandchild. And so I, uh, you know, I was, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I've been in the business for 40 years, so I mm. don't really feel like a new parent, but <laughs> I liken it to a, to a grandparent and you know my the staff we have here and the people working with us have worked really hard to make this possible so i was really mm. proud of them and proud of the uh, everything that they've accomplished so anyway uh first four songs came on and we picked them very specifically for a reason uh, the first song was buffy saint marie and mm. universal soldier nice as you know back in the 60s 70s uh, she was uh uh, doing a lot of protesting, anti-establishment, mm -hmm. and everything else. And she was blacklisted by a lot of radio stations, yep. by government, by, you know, the stuff that she went through just to make her statement was mm -hmm. was, uh, was was terrible. And yep. so I, uh, we picked that song uh, just so that people listening to The Raven uh, is a platform that will never do that to our Indigenous people. You know, we'll mm -hmm. give them an opportunity to share their music, their heart, their passion, and everything else. Mm, so mm. the second song we picked was uh, Come and Get Your Love by Red <laughs> Nice. nice. The reason for that is, well, just because. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's an iconic classic yeah. song that, that's never lost, uh, you know, over time. It's yeah. stayed fresh. Yep. And the third song we picked was, was from Shingus, uh, oh, nice, Silver nice. River. Mm. And uh, the reason for that is he's been a legend for many years. He recently passed away from yeah. COVID. And we just wanted to honor him. Mm -hmm. So the nice. fourth song was a person that you know very well, uh, Murray Porter. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I consider him the godfather of indigenous blues. <laughs> yeah, and, for sure. You know, from, from your reserve, Six Nations, yeah. and from... Uh, he now living in Vancouver, yeah. and so uh, that's that's our first four. And Great set. After that, we went into other other songs. So I'm glad you introduced that to us. Now, the Raven is one of a few stations that you now have running. So, like you said, you're not you don't necessarily feel like a new parent, but and you also said you've been in this now for 40 years. Bert, can you take us back a little bit and introduce us to when you got started? What was it like when you got started as compared to now, would you say? I uh, originally went to school at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Okay. I was pre-med. 
uh, in high school, I had wrestled, played football. I was really into sports. Mm. And while I was at university, um, BYU had about 800 Indigenous students there. And so here I was, uh, you know, a high school kid right out of uh, right out of school and in a university, and I was having way too much fun. <laughs> and so I decided to change my major, major from pre-med to physical education recreation. I wanted to coach. I wanted to teach high school. Mm. So I did that, and I took all my coaching classes and everything else. And, and uh, about a year left before I graduated, I, you know, like most young people, you start incurring some debt. So I decided to take a year off and and pay off some bills and then go back to school. So um, I came back to Edmonton. Uh, I was a silversmith. I was making silver and turquoise jewelry. Mm. And it was kind of a, like, as you know, as a artesian, you, you, uh, you know, it's a feast famine sort of a situation. Mm. You sell a bunch of stuff, you make money, you buy more supplies, mm. and then you starve until you right. uh, sell, a, sell more stuff. So, a friend of mine was working at the Native People newspaper with Alberta Native Communication Society, and he said, um, you're into sports. Why don't you cover a basketball tournament for me at Bikani or Pagan in southern Alberta? Mm. So I said, sure. So I went down, and I uh, took photos. I um, covered the story, came back, gave it to him, and he was the editor of the Native People newspaper. And so he liked what I did mm -hmm. and then asked me to cover a hockey tournament at Gainai, which is the blood reserve. Mm. And so I did that. Then he offered me a full-time job. <laughs> and because I took a week of photography and industrial arts in high school, I got thrown into the darkroom. <laughs> so I learned how to become a photographer there and develop film. And, and, you know, I was fortunate to have some really good friends in mainstream media mm. who were very helpful at whenever I had questions about taking photos, they mm. would help me. So I worked from there and, you know, as you know, with most indigenous news organizations, it's, you know, uh, revenue is not very dependable. Mm. So uh, we used to be 11 people working there. And as people left, I would, uh, they wouldn't be replaced and I would just learn how to do that. So mm. I was self-taught, you know, how to lay out papers how to get in a dark room, how to produce pictures, how to uh, edit stories, um, et cetera. So pretty soon we were down to three full-time and one half-time person. Mm. And uh, I brought in a salesperson. And this salesperson, we had a deficit back then. And this salesperson came in and started generating revenue. We, we, uh, cut that deficit down to zero. We, we're in the black now. And so I um, was feeling pretty good about that. And a new board of directors came in and there was some differences of opinion between the ourselves and, and the new board. And of course, I got fired for the first time in my life. Mm. And so I sat down with my friend who hired me. He got fired too. And <laughs> the new sales guy. And I said, uh, now what? And I said, well, I kind of like doing this. Let's, let's do it. So we started a newspaper in my basement. And uh, the sales guy said, I like you guys. I'm, I'll stick with you. So <laughs> this new newspaper is called The Nation's Enzyme, which was launched in 1981. And 
It was like the uh, Edmonton Sun newspapers. We ran, you know, color front page, lots of ads and everything else. And, and so after a while, after a year or so, my friend and I parted ways and I put out another magazine called Powwow Trail in 1981. And uh, I uh, eventually the people that fired me asked me to come back. So I went back. And then they lost their funding. And so there I was with uh, staff and and nothing. And the opportunity came up to establish a new organization. So I did that. And that was the birth of the uh, Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. And mm. we got word on April the uh, 11th or March the 11th, 1983. And a week later, we put out our first newspaper called AMSA, which later became Windspeaker. Right. In 1987 or 85, the Northern Native Broadcast Access Program became available. And so we applied for radio. We were opportunity of both radio and also um, radio and also uh, television. Mm. And my philosophy has always been rather than build two and have them both struggle, build one, get a solid foundation build it to the point where, you know, it's on its own and, and, and functioning very well, mm -hmm. and then expand into, uh, expand into a different, uh, uh, expand into a different, um, medium or add on medium, to it. Yeah. Yep. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that's, uh, that's what we did. We decided, well, let's just focus on radio. So we did that and, uh, we started off being an hour on CBC television in the morning. And so, but we were known as the radio on TV. You know, in the old <laughs> days, there was just that screenshot of the mm. logo and, right. and then our music and everything else behind it. So we started off an hour a day and then two hours a day. Uh, an opportunity came up for a distribution program. So we set up 10 small 10-watt 10 transmitters along the Northeast Alberta border. Mm. Mm. And from there, uh, the distribution program continued for three more years. And we, every year, we'd put up 12 10-watt transmitters. And um, so eventually, we got to the point where we had 48. Uh, we added a couple in there. Hmm. And so uh, that was our distribution system. We were also on the uh, CANCOM, the satellite. Oh, so yeah. all of these were... we. Broadcast from Edmonton, and you know, and it would go up on satellite, and all of these guys would receive it and re-broadcast re, uh, it. Mm. So, um, problem with that was we had seven along the Slave Lake um, shore, and you drive along that highway from High Prairie to Slave Lake, and you'd lose us, pick us up, lose us, mm. pick us up, lose us, pick us up. Right. And about that time, we started Radio Bingo. And mm. we followed the lead of Mississippi Broadcasting in Saskatchewan and NCI mm -hmm. in uh, Manitoba. Mm -hmm. And we refined that and said, okay, let's, they play one game for about 20 minutes. Uh, let's make it a bingo hall experience. And so we played about 24 games on our, mm. we have a booklet of seven sheets and each sheet there's uh, the first one is two games. The, 
next five are four games, letter X, uh, picture frame, two line and blackout. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is the Bonanza. And so that one we used to give away at the beginning, we made about a hundred thousand a year Mm -hmm. and it slowly progressed over the years. And when the pandemic hit, things went crazy. Mm. And so uh, our estimated, our estimated, uh, a projected uh, revenue that we'll get this year will be about six million dollars. Hmm. And so the the things with the thing with gaming and and uh, radio bingo is that the proceeds can only be used for distribution, hmm. and we can't use it for for salaries. Hmm. So uh, the problem we had along Slave Lake, we uh, put up a ten thousand watt transmitter at Juicart, and then that we took out the. Sm- seven small smaller 10 watt transmitters and move those elsewhere mm, mm. and so as bingo revenue continued to increase we put in another 10,000 watt transmitter in the porcupine hills and that covered Picani and kainai uh first mm. nation in uh, in southern alberta mm-hmm. and then over the years we slowly started expanding we uh added a hundred thousand watt transmitter in the uh Moose Hills by St. Paul in northeastern Alberta. We added a hundred thousand watt transmitter in the in Grand Prairie. We added a thirty kilowatt transmitter in Fort McMurray, a twenty kilowatt in uh, Lac La Biche, and then we uh, added a hundred thousand watt transmitter in Edmonton. And then four years ago, five years ago, an opportunity came up where licenses became available in in Alberta and and that you you benefited from that mm-hmm. same uh, opportunity mm-hmm. and that's how your organ your stations became mm-hmm. and so anyway we an opportunity came about for uh, and we were successful in getting the license for Calgary and Edmonton so uh, staying to our philosophy of building one we built Calgary and uh, we have a hundred thousand watt transmitter there for CJWE. We uh, converted that signal that was going to the Porcupine Hills over to that uh, uh, network. And so that gave us the first of our, uh, or another hundred thousand watt to our coverage area. So we have waited. We were originally gonna launch the Raven in April and when, when COVID hit, right. uh, we were like everybody else. We didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we downsized a little bit. We laid a couple people off, unfortunately, but we we kind of hunkered down. And like I said, we didn't know if it was going to last a couple weeks, if it was going to last a couple months, a year, or if it was the end of the world. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. no one knew what was going to happen. And everybody was scared. Mm-hmm. And so... We hunkered down, we shut our office, everybody started working from home and all our honor people were working from home. The only people coming in was our accounting staff and, mm. and our bingo staff. Mm. And so our, because of COVID our, you know, bingo went crazy because there was no casinos, no, no VLTs, no, you know, like everything, no bingo halls. Right. So we were the only game in town. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Let's get back to the show. My guest is Bert Crowfoot. He is the founder and CEO of AMSA.
And so, you know, there are stories of people lining up, you know, a hundred deep in some of these communities <laughs> to get their bingo cards. And wow. so, um, anyway, so from there, we, uh, we, uh, kind of hunkered down. Uh, Calgary has become self-sufficient. It's covering its own cost mm -hmm. through advertising and, and, uh, the revenue from the websites. And so we, uh, decided well it's let's launch the raven we had a one-year extension and so we're supposed to be on the air this coming june so we decided well let's let's launch in in february so we mm -hmm. started testing january the 11th and then we launched on on um, february the first and like i said three days has been been really exciting it's just uh, you know it's when we launched CJWE in Calgary, we had some local coverage and it was, it was, you know, it, it was good. But mm. the launch of the Raven, I, I can't believe the, the excitement that's out there. I mean, we've got Relic, who's a, a local hip hop artist as our drive mm. show host. And between him and Brad, my son in the hip hop world, they're, I was I was reading a feed on a thread online, and you know all these artists right across Canada and across North America are getting their you know they're trying to get their music in, and mm. you know, we've we've got different genres. We've got uh, I always say everything but country is what the Ravens all about because <laughs> okay. CFWE and CJWE are classic country. Yes, There's two other radio stations in both Calgary and Edmonton that play new country. So. Mm -hmm. We go old country, and you know the people love it, especially right. the older people up north and the northern isolated communities. People, you know, older cowboys in northeast or in, in the country of country or rural areas of Alberta. So right. we right. decided with with uh, Raven, we'll do everything but country, and so we've got you know pop and mm. that, and we got blues at night, hip hop at night. Uh, We've got uh, the excitement is there from people getting their music in. Mm. Um, people already are streaming online. We've uh, we're just waiting for our app to be approved by Apple and Android, and nice. so that I heard today is almost there. So we should have an app in a couple of days. Right. The the other apps for CFWE and. CJW or at the App Store, and they're free to download for both right. Apple and Android. Nice, uh, Bert. It's uh, it sounds great, and you really gave us that wonderful background there. I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest here on the show is uh, Bert Crowfoot. He is the CEO and founder of the Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. That's AMSA for short. We're talking about the uh, basically about the launch of a new station that they just uh, launched this month in February. It's called The Raven, and uh, it is at uh, 89.3, and it's in Edmonton now. Is it a lot of block programming that you're running? Um, there is uh, some block programming. Um, when we had originally started with CFWE, we had everything in there. We tried to mix in, uh, you know, in the northern isolated communities, you have the elders who usually listen in the morning, so we mm. started off with old country. And then towards the evening, it was usually the younger people. So we ended up, we had hip hop at night, mm. different things. So 
once the Ravens started, we've kind of pulled all of that stuff out and just stuck with country for the CJWE and CFWE. And the Raven has become the, uh, the venue for, for everything else. So mm-hmm. when we first started, um, like I said, I, I always believe in starting something, building it. So yep. when we first started the, the, uh, CJWE in Calgary. That was our first news station. Uh, we uh, used all of our resources from our uh, head organization, AMPS, our mm-hmm. finance, our accounting, our sales, and everything else. And basically, our only cost was the building in, in Calgary that we were space that we were renting, which is right on Center Street. And uh, it's we got a huge window that our studios look out onto main street and we've got decals of indigenous dancers and mm-hmm. one speaker radio right on the window. So we have really good uh, exposure to the public in Calgary. And in the morning we had, uh, we had one person uh, starting and then we eventually, we hired an, another person that was, everything was being done from Edmonton. We, uh, we had our production studio that they worked out of in Edmonton. Once we got our Cal- our studio in Calgary established, we were set up in the boardroom and they were broadcasting out of there where the studio was being built. Hmm. Once the studio was built, uh, our Edmonton guy that was broadcasting out of Edmonton moved down there and he was doing the morning show down there. And we had uh, people uh, that were working part-time from Edmonton that we're doing the drive and eventually we hired a drive person. So we've kept our costs down right from the start. Mm. And so, like I said, we've always, uh, I would say, you know, the first couple of years, we maybe it, we were at a deficit of maybe $50,000, but mm. now we're generating, uh, uh, we're in the black in Calgary or, you know, we're making money there. And then, when we started the Raven, I had someone ask me, well, how many full-time staff do you have? And I said, we have none. You know, we have a part-time person that we hired in the morning and she's actually uh, our production person, Shannon. Mm-hmm. And so she does the, the morning show. And then we hired Bill Relic, who is uh, our Bill uh, LeBlanc, who is named Relic. And he's doing our drive show. And, uh, you know, so... Our costs, uh, you know, it's right in the AMSA building, which we bought mm-hmm. 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. We've um, The building is paid for. We have, it's 25,000 square feet. So our uh, studios are, are, are upstairs, both mm-hmm. the Raven and CFWE. Mm-hmm. And so that is not costing us anything as far as rentals concerned. We completely renovated our all of our studios in Edmonton, uh, the Ravens got a new uh, broadcast uh, studio. We have a new production studio. We also renovated Windspeaker, our uh, CFWE studio and its production studio. So everything is uh, state of the art. And uh, this is all through bingo revenue. Right. And so when uh, we started the Raven, our, our only cost is, is staff. Mm. And it's all part-time staff, so right. uh, we've already got people uh, calling and, and asking about advertising. So it looks like the first year of the Raven will be covering our costs, and after that, we should. Once that happens, we slowly start increasing. And 
hiring full-time people. And like I said, with I'm really blessed to have such an awesome crew of mm. dedicated employees who mm. are, are uh, like I said, Shannon's working with all of our, uh, she's the production person for all of our uh, mm. three stations. Mm-hmm. Our on-air people have learned production and they're helping out. And they're all doing interviews with uh, artists, with, with different people. So uh, the other thing that I'm really proud of is that, you know, with language, mm. our uh, CFWE has been catering to um, the Cree and, and uh, Nakota languages. And there's five languages in Alberta. There's mm-hmm. Blackfoot, Cree, Nakota Sioux, Dene, and Machif. So when we added CJWE, we brought in a lot of Blackfoot speakers. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Nakota Sioux from uh, Morley, Alberta, a uh, young man there, Thomas Snow, has been uh, really helpful, him and his mother, Alice, uh, at doing all of our Nakota speakers. So we started off with, uh, with splitters in just the language, mm. uh, both Blackfoot and Nakota, and then people would call me or email me and say, what the heck does Sakna Sakna mean? You know, I hear it all the time. And so I said, uh, that means (laughs) 88.1. So it all became apparent to us now, if you're a non-speaker or non-Indigenous person and you've got five languages on the air, it all sounds the same. Mm. So we decided to go bilingual. So Mm. all of our hosts now in the morning or in the afternoon will say, okay, which is Blackfoot for hello, Mm. or Kanse, which is Cree for hello, or Awashte, which is hello in in uh, Nakoda, so, and so we uh, we started doing bilingual stuff. Our we have uh, vignettes uh, that are throughout the whole day. Right. You know, here's uh, you know, uh, let's go to the powwow, and right. then they in Blackfoot. Right. Let's go to the powwow, and then in Blackfoot. Right. And then after that, we started adding. Uh, we have voices of our people, which is um, a half hour show, and. We interview knowledge keepers, ceremonial people, and everything else, and they share stories. And right. you know, first thing they do is they they introduce themselves, and then in English, and then they repeat themselves in the language. Right. And then they go, they start telling their story, but they're going back and forth between English and and the language. Mm. And what happens is that if you just hear language for thirty minutes, you tune out. Right. And so I had a call from a lady who was listening to a an elder, and she was telling her stories. And the lady said, you know, I pulled up in front of the store and my son and I were going to go in and we had to finish hearing the story. So we sat in our car for 15 minutes and listened to <laughs> listen to her finish her story. And I just wanted to thank you because it was so interesting. <laughs> That's you know? great. So That's great. stories like that. And our first day of the Raven, mm. you know, I, we got a, Jeremy Harp got a call from uh, this elder and she said, I was listening to the show, and for the first time in my life, I heard my Dene language on the air. Hmm. And it's been a while since I've been home to high level. And it made me feel so awesome. Thank <laughs> you, thank you, thank you so much for hmm. bringing that to me. Wow. We'll be right back with more Burt Crowfoot right after this. Stay tuned. <laughs> 
Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And I would also like to welcome our listeners who are on other stations who are also carrying this show, as well as international listeners through our website and or listening through our podcast. So welcome to all. My guest is Bert Crowfoot. He is the CEO of AMSA. He's also the founder of Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta. And we're talking to him about a new radio station they just launched called The Raven in Edmonton at 89.3. And it's a pleasure to have Bert on the show. Bert, you're heading up and you're, like I said, the founder of AMSA. And that includes uh, three radio stations now, uh, CFWE in Edmonton, CJWE in Calgary. And you've got some uh, some really good wattage on your towers. That's amazing that you've got to that much power. You, you must be covering a very large area. Now with the Raven launched this month on February, and congratulations to you on that. That's also in the Edmonton area. The focus of this station, I understand, is maybe a little bit different. You're you are going to be broadcasting, at least in part, uh, in five languages that you were referring to earlier. I'm just wondering, you, you also talked about the music variation that you're going to be carrying. So how will The Raven be different from the other two stations that you've established? And, and I also, you know, we have to say The Windspeaker, which is the original part of AMSA, which was the print side of things that you launched uh, about 40 years ago. Yeah, that was in 1983. Um, started off with the Windspeaker. Um, it was called AMSA for the first couple of years, Aboriginal Multimedia Society, which also means big, uh, something big in Cree. Mm. So, uh, but we ran a, a name the paper contest, and Terry Lusty came up with the name mm. Windspeaker. So that's been with us for the last 35 years mm-hmm. or so. Um, Got into radio. Uh, we did start off with CFWE, started off with smaller transmitters. And you, as you just mentioned, we've expanded over the course of the last well with uh, through the proceeds of our radio bingo. Uh, right now we have uh, 750,000 watts of indigenous power. We like it's almost three quarters of a million <laughs> watts. My goal is to reach a million, mm. and uh, we've got uh, Medicine Hat, Left Bridge, and High Level uh, Hinton areas that still need uh, mm. to be added to the network, and so we're working on those. Uh, once that's done, we'll have the, almost the entire province covered for uh, for Windspeaker or CFWE, CJWE. And after that, I mean, who knows uh, the opportunity for the Raven to right now in Edmonton, we have two uh, 100,000 watt transmitters uh, in our one site. And so, um, you know, after that, uh, I'm just kind of, I guess, dreaming or thinking of where we're going to go next. And, uh, you know, we could have uh, add a, a dual uh, 100,000 watt transmitter in Grand Prairie, mm. uh, Calgary, Lethbridge, et cetera, so that uh, eventually, hopefully I'm still around, we'll have uh, dual stations in, in covering most of Alberta. 
That's amazing. In terms of the wattage and the size of the area that you're saying, almost covering the entire province, how do you stand up to other networks in the broadcasting region of Alberta at this point in time with, with the kind of coverage that you have? There's like Stingray has a lot of smaller uh, stations that cover just local communities. Mm. Uh, since the pandemic, they've uh, consolidated uh, several into one and and are, are doing it that way. Um, but they're all smaller. They're all, uh, I'm just guessing, 10,000 watts mm -hmm. and just covering the local area. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as the 100,000 watt transmitters, as far as I know, we're probably the biggest, uh, has has the most power in in probably in Canada. I don't know. Mm. I'm just guessing. Um, we, uh, yeah, yeah, it's something I've never thought about. We just huh? we just do it. But um, you so, know, most of the mainstream uh, yeah. uh, large market broadcasters are all one one hundred thousand watt transmitter. Yeah. And they are in Calgary, Edmonton, Leftbridge, yeah. Grand Prairie, yeah. uh, Fort Mac, um, and places like that. With us, we I wanted, I mean, Indigenous people are spread over this whole province. Sure. And I wanted to be able to reach out to and, yep. and cover for all of them. And like I said, this is all because of our proceeds from Radio Bingo. Yes. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's been a, a godsend for us. Um, and uh, it's allowed us to be uh, to reach the point of self-sufficiency a lot faster. Well, you know, bingo, uh, I guess, again, you, you alluded to the fact that you kind of followed uh, NCI and uh, what they're doing. How does the bingo work for you on that scale? Well, when it first started, this would be about 1984. And we used to have a uh, NACS meeting, National uh, Aboriginal Communicators. You've been listening to a part of an interview I did with Bert Crowfoot, the founder and CEO of AMSA, the Aboriginal Multimedia Society of Alberta, talking about the recent launch of Raven Radio that took place earlier this month. It is part of a one-hour special interview that I did with Bert Crowfoot, and we'll be playing that for you in its entirety at a later date. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.